Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The cold bite of the northern wind sank deep into my bones as I trudged along the snow-covered path. Though my body was weak from hunger, and my lips cracked open, exposing the soft red flesh to the elements, I continued ever onward, for I was so very close to my destination. And as the colossal monolith ahead of me stood waiting, dark and silent as a shadow, I could not help but to think back to how I was set on this course of action. In years past, I had been a professor at a prestigious university that shall remain nameless, and had developed quite a reputation for being an expert in the sciences. By all accounts, I was considered a genius, and though I'm not proud of it, I had let these opinions go to my head. So above the common rabble was I, that I had never considered that I would ever meet my equal. Until he showed up. His name was Arthur Wellington, a young man from an old family, born into privilege and gifted with an extraordinary intellect. Great things were expected from him. Many believed that he was destined to be a great man, to stand with, if not above, the likes of Newton and Einstein. And needless to say, I hated him from the start. Throughout my tenure as a professor, I had, as I've said before, made a reputation of being a genius. In my eyes, it was only natural for my class to reflect that. My class had a 90% dropout rate. I had designed it that way. Through my eyes, nobody except the best deserved degrees and all the benefits that came with them. Crying couldn't get you through my class. Money couldn't get you through my class. Only pure intellect and the will to use it could allow you to pass. Some would say that it was needlessly cruel to make it so difficult. <laughs> Nonsense. I was simply weeding out the weak from the strong. So, imagine my surprise when Arthur simply breezed through my class. Every test, essay, pop quiz, of which there were many of, was nothing more than child's play for him. In the past, I've encountered gifted individuals, men and women who became leaders in their field, and without fail, every single one of them would say the same thing no challenge compared to that of trying to pass my class. Except for Arthur Wellington. 
From the very start of my career as a professor, I designed the perfect strategy to separate the smart from the stupid. Such was my passion. Only then, I found myself bearing witness to all of my work being swept aside as if it were no more challenging than simple wishing it away. Some would expect me to be satisfied, even proud, and in truth, all I felt was resentment. My hatred for the boy wrapped around me like a heavy chain, keeping me steady in my new purpose to destroy Arthur Wellington. It was all really quite simple. My plan to stump the so-called prodigy. I would give him an impossible task. An equation that no man, including myself, could possibly solve. The Yang-Mills Existence and Mass Gap Equation. I had spent years puzzling over that particular equation. Like the rest of the world, I've not once made any headway. It was perfect. Finally, I would stump that little arrogant fop. When I had changed the final exam to that equation, the class looked visibly worried. All except for Arthur. He was composed as ever. He looked to the equation on the board, then to me and simply asked, Is that all? The cheek. No matter, I thought, still confident of my victory. He would never solve this equation. No one can. I dismissed the class and gave them until the following day to solve the equation. For the first time since Arthur entered my life, I wore a smile on my face. It was not to last. The following day, several of the remaining students didn't show up to class including the great Arthur Wellington. Elated at having finally trounced that little ponce once and for all, I prepared a drink for myself. After all, I'd earned it. Then I heard the door groan as somebody entered. I quickly put my less than proper beverage under my desk. And after all, it wouldn't do to have the dean see a member of the staff drinking on the job. Only, it wasn't the dean at all. It was Arthur. He walked in, casually as humanly possible. In his hand was a small envelope. Without a word, he approached me and laid it on the desk. Then, just as casually, he turned and walked away. And just as he reached the door, he stopped and said, Enjoy your drink, sir. And just like that, he was gone. I looked from the door to the envelope on my desk, and with no small measure of anxiety, I pulled out my letter opener, cut it open, and dumped its contents on my desk. A rather small piece of paper fluttered out of the envelope. It landed on my desk as a leaf would on the ground, with no sound. I failed to stifle a groan. No. I thought, it, it's not true. I took hold of the paper. It couldn't be. And slowly, ever so slowly, I turned it over in my hands. And it was nothing short of miraculous. As I sat there, head in hands, 
staring at the small piece of paper that redefined mathematics in its entirety. I could not help but feel a deep sense of despair take root within my very being. I was beaten, in every sense of the word. That young man was my superior in every way, and though it killed me to admit it to myself, it was the truth. I stared at the half-empty glass under my desk. I snatched it up from its hiding place and downed its contents in one gluttonous gulp. The drink that once tasted like victory was then as bitter as I felt. The sun's light woke me the following day. Pain shot through my head as I tried to rise from the floor. While doing so, I noticed the bottle in my hand. I rose it to my lips in the hope of alleviating my pain, and alas, there was no such comfort. The bottle was empty. In my frustration, I hurled it across the room, and despite my best efforts, it simply landed on the carpet with an audible thud. Of course, I thought, laying my head back down. Now, I can't even break a simple bottle. I truly am a failure. How long I lay there, I did not know, nor did I care. But when I rose, it was with a newfound resolution. Not to best Arthur, no. That would be nothing but an effort in futility. Instead, my intent was to discover his secret. I refused to believe that any man, no matter how gifted, could simply show up with the answers to questions that have confounded the greatest minds of our world. I could not, I would not, believe it. And that night, I worked up the courage to phone the Wellington household to offer my congratulations on Arthur's success. A woman, who I assumed was his mother, answered. She squealed with delight upon hearing my words. As I continued to praise her darling boy, as she put it, I finally saw the opportunity that I was waiting for. I voiced my disappointment at not being able to tell Arthur in person just how proud I was of him. This got the exact reaction that I desired. Without hesitation, the woman eagerly invited me to their home for dinner the following night. Naturally, I accepted, after all. It was only proper. The following night, I arrived at the Wellington estate in my finest clothes. And what I saw was marvelous, breathtaking. A garden with bushes cut and trimmed into all manner and shapes and sizes. I saw trees with petals in place of leaves. I saw a man-made pond filled with koi fish. Their scales shined in the illumination of the full moon. And the house, it was beyond breathtaking. It was simply awesome. Something more akin to that of a palace than a manor. As I gazed at the sight of this magnificent home, I could not help but be in awe of its sheer brilliance. I approached the door and before I managed to knock, it opened. I was greeted to the smiling face of an older woman. She ushered me in with an expression of pure enthusiasm. Once inside, 
I could not help but gasp in astonishment. The decor was elegant beyond compare. The walls held a pattern of such unique elegance that I could scarcely believe my eyes. And on them were several portraits. Portraits of men, women, children, and of entire families. And that was only the beginning. Everything from the rugs that decorated the floor to the furniture placed so meticulously about the rooms as to create the most aesthetically pleasing sight possible served to further cement the notion of my inadequacy. I felt something in my chest I've never experienced before that day. Envy. The kind of envy known only to people of the lower class. Even though I was considered a success in every way imaginable, nothing could compare to that. That inherent nobility. I felt a gentle tug on my sleeve. It was a woman in the guise of a maid, and with a gentle smile, she bade me to the dining room. She was a pretty young thing who couldn't be older than twenty. I was curious as how to such a young woman would come to find herself employed in such a manner, but such thoughts were quickly swept away when I entered the dining room. As expected, the dining room was no exception to the near-obsessive dedication to the elegance that filled the rest of the home. Doing my best to hide my amazement, I took the seat that their servant had laid out for me. After taking my seat, we were soon joined by the rest of the Wellington family, which consisted of Mr. James Wellington and Arthur himself. Forcing a smile on my face, I greeted the two men as warmly as I would a brother and son. We took our respective seats and waited for the food to be served. Not knowing what to say to one another, we sat in silence. You have a very lovely home, Mrs. Wellington, I said, attempting to break the tension. Oh, yes, she replied enthusiastically, clearly happy to have something to converse about. It's been in the family for generations, hasn't it, James? Mm-hmm, was the old man's reply as he gave a brief nod of the head. We don't entertain that many guests these days, I'm afraid. So imagine my surprise when we got your call. Well, it's not very often that I get a student of such talent, I said, glancing at Arthur who seems completely disinterested in the whole affair. Can't say that I wasn't in the same mood myself. Nevertheless, I had gone to that place on a mission, and I would see it through. Oh, yes, of course, said she, looking at her child with pure pride in her eyes, a look that her husband also held upon his face. Mother, please. Arthur interjected while displaying a clear sense of discomfort at the attention. So, I thought smugly, he's human after all. I must admit that it gave me quite a bit of satisfaction to finally see that arrogant little worm squirm. Oh, hush, his mother replied with a wave of the hand. It's not every day that I get to show off my darling boy. Arthur 
clearly growing more irritated, locked his jaw and stared at his utensils. As the room began to grow quieter, I finally found the opportunity I was looking for. Pardon me, Mrs. Wellington, I began, placing a hand upon my head, feigning pain. I'm so sorry for this, but would you be so kind to tell me where your lavatory is? Oh, are you not well? She asked, visibly concerned. Yes, yes, nothing a good splash of water can't fix. Well, if that's all it is, she said, still mildly concerned. Just go down the hall. It'll be the last door on the right. Thank you very much, I said as I hurried out the dining room. Excellent, I thought as I wandered down the hall. Now I had my chance. Obviously, I had absolutely no intention of washing my face. No, I merely needed an excuse to get the lay of the land as it were. To explore this over-extravagant monstrosity and finally find the truth. But the place was practically a labyrinth, and before I knew it, I was lost. While failing at trying to navigate through the maze of hallways that was the Wellington Manor, I happened across the room that had its door unlocked. Unlike all the rest, it was not just some bedroom or broom closet. No. What greeted me upon opening this door was something I did not expect. A gallery. The walls were painted a shade of white so bright they almost seemed to radiate light. On the walls, I saw large ceramic playing cards. They were made with such meticulous care that at first glance, I thought them really made out of cardboard. It was only after touching them, feeling that cold, smooth texture under my fingertips that I realized the truth. They were placed in a perfect row dead center of their walls, dividing the room from top to bottom, all fifty-two of them. Everywhere else about the room was filled with all manner of art. I saw statues, paintings, photographs, clay sculptures, each piece unique, each piece created with such passion and intensity that each and every single one of them spoke to me and invoked emotions that threatened to bring me to my knees. One in particular caught my attention. A painting of a man. He was lying on an altar of stone, strapped down by large belts. Around him were an innumerable amount of rats, covering his entire lower half as if ready to feed on his insides. It was a ghastly thing to be sure, and yet, it resonated with me on a personal level. So amazed was I that, for the briefest of moments, I had forgotten why I had come to that place. Then, I had seen who had created the painting. On the bottom right corner was the signature of Robert Wellington. The wonder I felt had turned to resentment. A resentment so intense that I felt it eating up my insides. Of course, a Wellington had created this piece. Why? I asked myself. What makes them so 
superior. Was I just meant to believe that they were just a better breed of man? That the rest of us were mere mortals, were nothing but their lessers? Was I to believe that? My hatred intensified. Hatred for the Wellingtons, their son, their accursed maze of home, and the very walls of the room I was in. And in my anger, I struck the wall in front of me with all the strength that I could muster. To my surprise, the wall caved in, and I tumbled after it. Instinctively, I put my hands outwards to cushion my fall. When I landed, it wasn't wood and plaster that I felt under my hands. It was carpet, or more accurately, a rug. I looked up and saw that I was, in fact, in another room. The wall hadn't caved in. It opened. I looked behind me and saw the white front of the door to this hidden chamber. I stood up and surveyed this newly discovered area, and to my surprise, the room was in fact a library. No, that's not right. Not a library, but rather an archive. An archive that was positively massive in scope. Bookshelves that rose to the ceiling were tightly packed side by side from one another. Each and every single one of them was filled to their capacity but not just with books. No. They were filled with all manner of items. I saw books. Tomes. And even scrolls that had to be centuries old, if not older. I wandered about the archive, and the sheer scope of it was nearly beyond belief. As I did so, I approached the random shelf, and on a whim, plucked one of the tomes from the resting place and proceeded to open it. It was beyond belief. There are no words in any language on earth that can describe what was in that book. Simply put, it held answers. Answers to questions that have plagued humanity for generations. Answers that cannot be explained to those who don't already know what they are. The tome fell from my hands and before it hit the floor, another book was in them. If heaven was real, I was there. Page after page, book after book, scroll after scroll. I poured through as much as I possibly could, completely oblivious to the rest of the world around me. So you can imagine my surprise when I heard a gasp of shock. I turned and was greeted by the sight of the young maid standing in the doorway. Needless to say, she was surprised to see me in an area of the manor that up to that point was completely unknown to her. While she stood there, frozen in complete surprise, the only thought that came to mind was that I couldn't allow that girl to inform the Wellingtons of my location. The archive was large to be sure, but before the girl had shown up, I had found traces of plans to expand it including the tools that would have been used in the construction. Tools like the hammer that was on the shelf to my left. I grabbed it and rushed her, hammer raised high above my head. She was so surprised that she almost didn't react at all. 
She reached for the closest thing to her to protect herself, which just so happened to be one of the ceramic playing cards that were on the door. The Ace of Hearts. A poor choice. She raised the card to shield herself from the blow. I brought the hammer down on her, and I saw the heart fragment into several pieces. The impact tremor shook my arm, and I saw the light behind her eyes disappear. And that moment will forever haunt my dreams. Those large, innocent eyes, frozen in time, forever asking, why? If I said that my actions had no effect on me, I'd be lying. In fact, at that moment, I felt sick appalled at my actions, but I forced those feelings down. I knew what I had to do. I had just found what just might have been the single greatest collection of knowledge known to man, and there was no way in hell that I was going to allow the Wellingtons keep that knowledge from me. Their time had finally come to an end. My time was just beginning. It was no hardship finding my way around the manor at that point. It's hard to put into words, but after experience what I had in the archive, it was almost as if everything was so much clearer. Intuitions and instincts that were unknown to me previously had appeared and seemed as natural as breathing. In no time, I found the Wellingtons in their living room, speculating in urgent tones about where I could possibly be. I approached them as quietly as I was able. Hammer in hand, I readied myself. The elder Wellingtons had their backs to me. Arthur, on the other hand, saw me. At first he seemed relieved, until he saw the scarlet-stained hammer I held. The old man was the first to fall. I doubt that he ever knew what hit him. His wife, on the other hand, was very well aware of the danger. Her scream was cut short as her skull caved in when I fell upon her. It was over mere moments. Next was Arthur. He had not moved at all. His expression was not one of fear or shock, though, but of acceptance and understanding. Not a word was spoken between us. There was no need. He knew why. It was because I knew the truth. He was no prodigy. He just had the unfair advantage of having access to that wealth of information. This realization brought a smile to my face. He was nothing special. He was just a boy. No brighter or better than the average person. There was no guilt that time. He deserved it. They all did, lording over the rest of us as if they were superior. He kneeled and stared into my face as I brought the hammer down on his. The next several hours were spent disposing of the bodies. Nobody would find them. It would simply be as if they had never been there to begin with. After that was done, 
I spent the following days in the archive researching and learning all that I could. There was just so much. But in time, I finally found what I was looking for. The source. An archive of that magnitude would be no small thing to create. The knowledge that is held was so obscure in nature that it would be next to impossible to obtain. Not only that, but the quality of the items in it were positively pristine, as if they were only recently made, which of course could not be true. There were scrolls there that were written in ancient Aramaic, Latin, Hebrew, Greek, as well as other languages that I was absolutely certain were previously unknown to the rest of humanity. There had to be a source for all of this, and there was. After several days of exploring, it finally revealed itself to me. In the center of the archive was a journal, but not just any journal. It was the journal of Robert Wellington, the creator of the pieces that decorated the gallery just outside the archive's entrance. As I read through it, I discovered that Robert, unlike his descendants, was a man of actual talent and drive. It appeared that Robert was a man of adventure. In his youth, he spent much of his time exploring the content of Africa. On one such trip, he'd come across a dying native man. In a moment of kindness, he nursed the tribal back to health, and in gratitude, the tribal led him back to his village where he met with his leader. As it turned out, the young man he had saved was the son of the chief. In gratitude, the chief revealed to Robert the location of the home of one of their gods. The chief then told Robert that if he gained the favor of the gods, that he'd gain the secrets of all creation. Intrigued, he followed the chief's instructions and found himself in the Atlas Mountains. It was there that Robert found what he called the Nexus. Robert didn't go into great detail about what he found at this Nexus, only insisting that everything that the chief had told him was true. He spent several years collecting what he could from the Nexus, and the archive that I found myself in was the result of his labor. It was decided. I would find this Nexus. I would find it and discover all there was to know of this world. This I swore. I spent the following days researching all that I could on the ancient continent. Only when there was nothing left to know did I leave that place behind. I emptied my savings, gathered what gear that was needed, and set off in search of my prize. I spent years chasing after the phantom of the Nexus. In that time, I'd aged considerably. Before I had taken this course of action, I was well on my way to seniority. Now, I was positively ancient. But even so, I would not relent in my quest. I would not stop. I would not die. Not until I had what was mine. It was no secret where the Atlas Mountains were. Locating them was not difficult. But the location of the Nexus, that 
was something altogether different. Robert Wellington never kept a record as to its whereabouts. At the time, only he and the chief knew its location. And so, my mission was to find the tribe that held the knowledge of its location. Not an easy feat to be sure, but I would see it done. No matter the cost. Before I had left the Wellington estate, I had taken all of what I consider the most valuable secrets. Knowledge is power after all. And what man doesn't desire power? Once again, I had established a reputation for my knowledge in all manner of subjects. In time, I had gained the moniker of the Dark Scholar. Rather on the nose, to be certain, but I cannot deny that I enjoyed the name. It suited me. The selling of these secrets had allowed me to amass a fortune so large that it allowed access to nearly any and all resources that I desired. Most people would be satisfied with such a large amount of wealth, and I'm not, nor will I ever be, most people. No, it's not money that I wanted. Even after all those years, my desire had never changed. The Nexus was the real prize, and it would be mine. Using each and every resource at my disposal, agents, scholars, geologists, ecologists, theologists, anybody and everybody who had a story to tell about the various tribes of Africa and their gods. I had them search for that tribe, and in time, I finally found them. On a remote patch of dirt, completely unremarkable in every way, was the tribe that I had searched for all that time. Finally, I would have the answers I was searching for. The tribals were understandably hesitant to share their secrets with an outsider. I did try to reason with them. Truly, I did. I offered them food, medicine, and riches beyond anything they could have possibly imagined. They were adamant in their stubbornness, and what choice did they leave me? I offered them an olive branch, and they knocked it from my hand. So I put them to the sword. It wasn't long before their elder conceded defeat. He offered me the location of the Nexus in for the lives of his people. I accepted his offer. After all, I'm not a monster. And at last, after all those years of searching, I had the location of the Nexus. I readied my gear for the trek into the mountains. I had been prepared for that moment for quite some time. I made my way alone to those ancient mountains. Purpose filled my chest. If I had to bear the weight of the world on my shoulders, like the titan that those mountains were named after, in order to get what I wanted, then so be it. I would have my prize. As I began the long trek into the unknown, I thought about what the village elder said to me. One does not simply go into those mountains and happen across the nexus. No, if such were the case, several people would already know where it is. 
The only way to find it is to have it as your intended destination and follow the path that was set by the gods. Now I've never held much stock in the concept of gods and legends, but one thing I did believe was that it wouldn't be so simple a thing as just walking up to the entrance and entering the most coveted source of information in known existence. So I continued on my path. Days later, I was out of food. My pack and feet ached. For the first time in years, I felt my age creeping up on me. If I were a younger man, I'd have found the path difficult. Never mind how I am now. But even so, I continued ever onward. Nothing would deter me from my path. Not the elements. Not the hunger nor the pain. I would have what was mine. I don't rightly recall when the storm started. But before I knew it, I was surrounded by howling winds and swirling snow. It obscured my vision. I could hardly see and could feel nothing but the sting of the snow on my face. And then I saw it. There it stood, a mountain unlike all the others that surrounded it. It was completely untouched by the elements. Not a single snowflake touched its surface. There it was, dark as a starless sky. Clouds swirled around its summit like a crown fit for a god. When I saw this, I forgot my pain and fatigue. With a renewed vigor, I pressed forward. As I approached the base of the mountain, I thought to myself, I've done it. After all this searching, I've done it. Now, I would have what I've searched for. Now, the nexus would be mine. At the base of that dark, primordial mountain, I saw an entrance to a cave. But this was no natural feature, no. Its edges were far too smooth and edged. God does not build in straight lines. As I grew closer to it, I felt the cold leave me. The wind died down and the world grew silent. I turned and saw the swirling blizzard behind me. It surrounded the mountain, but didn't touch it. It was as if this piece of land was not restricted by the laws of nature that govern the rest of creation. I turned back to look at the entrance, and there it was, drawing me in. Like a moth to the flame, I stood a foot away from it, staring into it seeing nothing but an inky blackness. And with one last deep breath, I stepped forward and became enveloped by the shadows within. At once, I lost all sensation. No pain, no hunger. I felt nothing. I saw nothing. I was nothing. Just a thought, floating in an endless void. Then, I was myself again, and I opened my eyes. What I saw was, well, there are no words. How does one describe what I saw in that moment? What are the words that can capture the sheer beauty and scale of what I saw? It became all too clear to me in that moment why Robert Wellington had never described just what the Nexus was. 
It simply was indescribable. It would be like trying to describe sound to the deaf, color to the blind. There are no words. One must experience it for themselves in order to understand. For the Nexus was not just some simple archive like at the Wellington Estate. It was a marvel beyond human comprehension. I stood there and beheld sights that dazzled my mind. At both times there was a floor, yet not. Walls, but not really. I imagine that the closest thing one could imagine it as would be exploring one's own mind. Yes, that's it. It was if navigating my very own dream space without the fog of sleep clouding my mind fleeting images and sensations that seemed familiar yet different. But then my wonder was cut short. The darkness returned. I felt a heavy pressure weigh down on my very being. I was not alone. I could feel the presence of another. Then I saw its face. It was an impossibly tall figure its body covered in feathers of darkness so pure that the abyss that surrounded us both paled in comparison. Its head was like the skull of a crow, and its eyes were like that of two large stones that each held a void of their very own. It loomed over me, staring straight into my eyes. And then it spoke. Who are you? It asked in a voice that entered straight into my mind. It was neither male or female, human or beast. It was something altogether unique unto itself. I told the creature my name and my purpose. And the creature remained silent. I sensed that it wished to know more. So I told it my story, about my life as a professor, my discovery of the archive at the Wellington Estate, and the path that led me here. And after it heard my tale, it spoke again. Long have I waited for one such as you. Not since Robert Wellington have I had a guest in my home. I welcome you. I blinked and found myself on solid ground for the first time since I entered that place. I looked around and saw that I was back at the archive. At least, I thought I was. But then I realized that it was different from how I remembered it. The ceiling was so far up that I was unable to see it at all, and the shelves rose with it. The aisles were also impossibly long, stretching out as far as the eye could see. I turned to the creature and it spoke again. I've given this place a form your mind can comprehend, it said. I nodded in reply and noticed another key difference the inclusion of windows. I approached one of them and saw the outside world. But it was not one that I could recognize. It was a desolate place. Ash fell from the sky, covering the ground with its embrace. In the distance was a lone figure, walking among the shattered landscape that was its world. It had the appearance of a man, but where flesh and bone belonged, was instead replaced with steel and gears. I stepped back and looked through another, 
and saw two vessels in the void of space. There they were, suspended in ether, locked together by a metallic bridge of sorts. I could make out the name of the larger of the two. The ESS Harbinger. I stepped back and looked all about me. These windows were but a few of the innumerable amount that covered the wall, and through them I saw all manner of things. I saw an island floating on a mass of clouds. I saw a city at night with a lone figure flying through the sky, as though weightless with a small light chasing after it and so much more. I turned back towards the creature which hadn't moved an inch. Just what is this place? I asked, unable to contain my wonder. As you know, Robert Wellington had called this place the Nexus, an apt name if ever there was one, for this place is between all others. And these? I asked, gesturing to the windows behind me. Windows. Windows to what is, was, will be, and could be. Though I didn't fully understand what was being said to me, I simply nodded. Besides, I was forgetting my purpose for finding this place. But, you didn't come here for sightseeing, the creature said in a voice that wasn't a voice. No. Well, it said, you've more than proven yourself worthy of having access to my collection. It gestured to the massive archive that surrounded us. Then it asked me a question. What do you wish to know? The question the creature asked was simple, yet held so much weight to it. In truth, it was a question that had plagued me long before I had begun my quest for the Nexus. What did I wish to learn? I had asked myself that question my whole life, and every time I did, my answer was always the same. I looked up into the creature's black eyes and said a single word. Everything. The creature's eyes flashed red as if amused with my answer. It said nothing in reply. But the next time I blinked, I saw that we were in another area of the archive. The creature extended its black hand outward and with a sweeping motion revealed the door behind it. I approached the door and rested my hand on its handle. Just before I opened it, I turned and asked the creature what was on the other side. Everything, it answered. Like before, I took a deep breath and passed through. There were no shadows to swallow me up this time, though. No. What I experienced then was light. A warm light, bright beyond all measure, but not painful in any way. This light was comforting, soothing in its way. I imagine that it's similar to the experience of being in the womb. Then, the light faded. I woke up on a patch of grass that was softer than anything I've ever laid on before. Confused, I rose from my resting place. I looked around, taking in my surroundings. It appeared that I was in the middle of a grove, but this was no ordinary grove, no, 
This was a place altogether different from any on earth. Everything about this place held a level of beauty that even the most talented of painters could not hope to capture if given a century to do so. Everything from the flowers on the ground to the clouds in the sky was so much more vibrant. The very air seemed so much clearer and filled me with such energy that it seemed to allow me to capture my youth again, if only for a moment. I looked around for the creature, but it was nowhere to be seen. But then, something else caught my eye. There, in the center of the grove, was a tree, massive in size. On its branches was a fruit unknown to me. It was unlike anything I've ever seen. Without thinking, I plucked it from the tree. It was a strange thing. As I held it, I felt a familiar sensation. A heavy air weighed down on me just like when I met the creature for the first time. Then it hit me. Where I was. It couldn't be, I thought to myself. As I've said before, I've never put much stock in gods and legends, but as I stood there, holding a literal fruit of knowledge, I could no longer deny the truth. There I stood, fruit in hand, facing a choice that ancient man once faced. I thought back on all I had gone through, all of the sins that I bore on my shoulders in search for this. I thought of the girl I had killed all those years ago, of those eyes forever frozen in time, forever asking me, why? And now, I held the answer in my hands. Would I sacrifice my humanity for the sake of knowledge? I looked down at the fruit in my hands and I knew my answer. I would sacrifice all for knowledge. The moment I bit into the fruit, the secrets of the universe were made known to me and the person I was ceased to be. I became something altogether different. I heard a voice in my mind. It was the creature's, and it was mine. I was he, and he was me. Such it was and had always been. From the moment the first of man had sinned, there had always been a watcher, a collector, a dark scholar. I was not the first to sacrifice all for the sake of knowledge, and I wouldn't be the last. This story is just one of many, and there is so much more to be collected, to be told, to be learned. So. I have one question to ask you. What do you wish to know?